Good day, King City Church and friends from all over. We are uh, greeting you from a different place that we normally use for our Sunday recordings. Just simply because we'd love to have um, a, a different voice, a voice that we have come to know over the years that um, has across the whole world actually been a voice of, of note. A man by the name of R.T. Kendall um, has recorded something for some churches that we are related to and friends of in South Africa. And um, that recording is something that we're going to be using today for you to watch and to listen to and to read about. And it's a message that we feel is very relevant for our time that we're in, in terms of this interesting moment that we find ourselves in across the world. So please take the time to, to listen, to watch, to read, and uh, let God speak to you. And the message is really about the church being awake. The church being awake for what God has for it and what God is calling us to be. And hence us sitting here with the city of Bulawayo in the background and, and the emphasis and the prophetic kind of message of sitting here is to say that the church is called for places and for people and not just for a moment. That we ought to respond to God in that moment so that the place and the people that we find ourselves amongst can benefit from what we in our hearts hear God saying to us. So please let this moment, not just for the time that you're watching this, but the moment in the spirit at the moment where God is speaking at large to His church, be something that you hear, that you listen to, and not respond in fear, but let our response in God be something that our cities, and in this case Bulawayo, and further afield, uh, be people that will benefit from our response to God. So God bless you. We're not going to have a song this morning for you to listen to because we have a little bit longer in terms of a preach. And so uh, I'm going to ask you to open up your heart. I want to pray for you and let God speak to you through this word. It's from a man by the name of R.T. Kendall that has ministered across the world. He's an American. He's 84 years old. He's a father of the faith. And there's something I believe we can learn from him today. So let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this moment not just this day, this hour, this second, but this moment in the history of the world where you have called us as your people to respond to you. And I do pray, Father, that today, as we listen to RT speaking to us, I pray that there will be a response in our hearts to be awake, to be awake to, work, to your spirit, to be awake to your word, and allow you, Lord God, to, to be a blessing to, to our families and to our cities and to our schools and to the streets and the workplaces and to this world as your spirit through your word, Lord God, show us the way forward. We trust you for it. I pray your blessing upon everybody watching and listening to this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you enjoy this. I want to speak to you on the specific subject, the midnight cry. Now, I need to tell you that I've been getting a lot of requests for a sermon that I, years ago, I was preaching on this uh, all over the world, uh, five or six years ago, and then I somehow stopped doing it. And then I began to get calls, letters. Since this coronavirus has taken over the planet, people have written and said, could this be it? Could this be the midnight cry? Hence, the new interest in this subject. Now, I've got special friends in South Africa. They just recently, when I preach a sermon for them, and this is what I'm doing, but I suspect this sermon will go outside South Africa, 
and maybe God will use it all over again. It's been on my heart for many, many years. This is nothing new. Now, I'll come immediately and answer the question, is the present coronavirus the midnight cry? No, in my opinion, and I will explain why in this sermon, but I want to say quickly that the midnight cry will be coming, and I think it could be soon. I think this coronavirus will pass, and I think it won't be long until something major, I mean huge, takes place, and that will grip people, because what needs to happen is a prophetic voice that will be parallel to either a pandemic or world crisis, such as what happened on September the 11th, 2001, when the Twin Towers fell in New York City. That caused the whole world to stand still, but only for a short period of time. And my suspicion is, I wish it weren't true, that present coronavirus crisis is going to cause some people to turn to God, and it will wake up a few, but I'm afraid that when it passes, and I'm told that it probably will, and I suspect that it will, that doesn't mean the world will ever be the same again. I'm not sure the world will ever be the same again. Uh, the new normal will be that nothing will be normal. In any case, something major will come that will get the world's attention at the natural level, but God will raise up a person, I would have thought maybe more than one, with such authority that it's just as gripping as the natural crisis itself is. And people will know beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is coming soon. Well, that said, I want to do my best to explain what I take Matthew 25 to refer to. Here's the way it is written in Matthew chapter 25, verses 5 and 6. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they will all, and this is referring to the wise and foolish virgins, to which I will refer in a moment, they fell asleep, and at midnight the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Well, that's what we have in Matthew 25, especially verse 6, where it refers to midnight, that I will explain, is that midnight does not mean 12 o'clock. Uh, it means middle of the night. It comes from three Greek words. It means middle of night. Uh, we can understand why it would be translated middle of night, or more often, midnight. But that is what we know about this word. What it's saying is that the church will be in a deep sleep, expecting nothing. Imagine yourself at 2 o'clock in the morning, in a deep, deep sleep, and you're getting a wake-up call, and you're not ready for it, and you don't particularly want it. Well, that's what this parable is about. It's not so much about the second coming, to be honest, as it is the awakening of the church just before the second coming. And according to Jesus, the awakening will take place in the middle of the night, metaphorically speaking. I'll come back to this. Now, it means that the call that awakens the ten virgins precede the actual second coming. Uh, if you look at the parable carefully, 
and look at 20, Matthew 25, verse 6, you can see there is a gap in time. You see, between the cry and the coming of the bridegroom. Many people have assumed that the cry that wakes up the church and the actual coming of the bridegroom, which is the coming of Jesus, would be simultaneous. But look at it more carefully. It's not simultaneous because the foolish virgins are saying to the wise, give us of your oil. Look, if it were simultaneous, they wouldn't be able to say that. There was something going on after the wake-up call. Well, the questions that we want to deal with, who are the ten virgins? The answer, I believe, they represent the church. What is the meaning of wise and foolish? Well, the answer is, the wise are those who were pursuing their inheritance. The foolish, those who didn't. Now, I need to say, parenthetically, all Christians are called to come into their inheritance. Some do, some don't. Well, in this parable, they thought that they were pursuing their inheritance just because they were a part of something big or they were part of the church. Uh, but the fact is that all were asleep. Foolish virgins, wise virgins, all asleep. And so this is what they had in common. And so there would be a cry while everybody was asleep. Now, how would I define wise? Well, these people that were wise had the fear of God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's why one could be called wise, the fear of the Lord. Word, we know this, that the psalm says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And so we know that these uh, virgins all had oil in their lamps. That's what it says in verse 4. And then not only that, uh, they had the Spirit. And they're the ones that had oil. Because when Samuel anointed David with oil, that's when the anointing came upon him. So word and spirit, they would be the wise. What about the foolish? Well, the foolish people didn't think about tomorrow's consequences of today's decisions. Uh, they took no oil in their lamps. Uh, they knew what the uh, festivities of a Middle Eastern wedding was like. I'll come to that in a moment. And so they were hoping for no delay in the bridegroom's coming. We know that those who hate the fear of the Lord hate knowledge. And God says, because you hate knowledge, one day I will laugh at your calamity. Well, they did not choose the fear of the Lord. All right. What is the midnight cry? It is an effectual awakening in the middle of the night, metaphorically speaking, uh, when both the wise and the foolish were in a deep sleep. Uh, we know what happened on September the 1st, 2001, uh, and that woke up everybody. God can do that just as easily at a spiritual level. So it will mean the preaching of the gospel with unprecedented power. I have reason to believe that the key to the next great move of God is the book of Romans, and especially chapter 4. And it will be a revival 
of the teaching of justification by faith alone. It will mean a restoration of the gospel, and that is something that we need. And it will be the culmination of the Word and the Spirit coming together. Now, I happen to believe that at the present time, there is a great divorce. I'd call it silent divorce in the church, speaking generally, between the Word and the Spirit. Now, when there's a divorce, sometimes the children stay with the mother. Sometimes the children stay with the father. Well, in this divorce, you have those that are on the spirit side and those that are on the word side. What's the difference? Well, take those that are word churches. The emphasis is know your doctrine, know your Bible, sound theology, justification by faith, sovereignty of God. And until we get back to sound teaching, the honor of God's name will not be restored. What's wrong with that emphasis? Nothing. It's exactly right. Take spirit churches. What, what's the message? Well, we need to get back to the book of Acts. Signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Spirit in operation. When they had a prayer meeting, the place was shaken. Get into Peter's shadow, you're healed. Light of the Holy Spirit, you're struck dead right on the spot. Well, spirit people say, until the church has power like that, the honor of God's name will not be restored. What's wrong with that emphasis? Nothing. It's exactly right. But the problem is, today, generally speaking, there are exceptions, but there are not a lot of exceptions, in my opinion. Generally speaking, wherever you go, it's one or the other. You've got word churches. You've got spirit churches. And they shout at each other, pointing the finger, not learning, not listening. And this is where we are, generally speaking. There are very few churches where it's word and spirit with equal emphasis, equal enthusiasm, equal joy, equal conviction. It's usually one or the other. Well, now, this parable of Jesus, uh, it is based upon an ancient Oriental wedding. By Oriental, I mean Middle Eastern uh, Jesus' immediate hearers would have understood this probably better than we do today because he was talking to people who would know exactly what a Middle Eastern wedding was like. Uh, Jesus will have just had finished the 20, what, what is now the 24th chapter of Matthew. They didn't have chapters and verses in the original. And of course, uh, there was no reference to a, a book that would come out one day and say all of this. But Jesus had given us what is Matthew 24. It's a description of the very last days. And then chapter 25 begins with these words, at that time. At that time. That means at the time when Jesus is, is describing the very last days, there would be a, the church that would, generally speaking, be symbolized by being in a deep sleep. If you were to ask me, what is the most apt description of the church today? I would say the church is asleep. All right. Well, Jesus is going to talk about a Middle Eastern wedding. Uh, sometimes the wedding would take the form of a seven-day 
celebration. At a specific time, the groom would come to get his bride from her house and then take her to his house. The bride would never know exactly when the bridegroom would arrive at her house. The tradition in those days, there would be young unmarried ladies who were friends of the bride and would accompany the bridal couple from the house of the bride to the house of the groom. Because the exact time of the bridegroom's arrival was uncertain, the bride was expected to be ready to leave at any moment, often. Strange as it may seem to us, the bridegroom would come in the middle of the night. Well, the hearers of Jesus would have understood that. That would not have been a problem for them. They would have understood the context that Jesus had been talking about the final generation, last days, and also the details of an ancient Middle Eastern wedding. Well, those unmarried ladies, virgins, who were prudent would bring along a flask with additional oil supply so their lamps would be burning in the middle of the night. This way, their lamps would always be burning and lit, would not go out. Now, I have to say that a rule of parables, rule of parables, you can't make a parable stand on all four legs. In other words, we must not press every detail of a parable, but derive from it the main point Jesus was making. Well, the main point that Jesus is making is be ready to enjoy the awakening when it comes, that it will not catch you by surprise. Uh, the awakening that will be prior to the second coming. It was to be a happy event, uh, a celebration. Uh, so imagine that you could be a part of a moment in history when the Word and the Spirit come together and we see genuine miracles. We see the pure gospel preached and people shaken and being right in the middle of that. It would be a wonderful time. This would be when Jesus, still at the right hand of God, by the way, he hasn't come physically, he's orchestrating this from the right hand of God. He will not leave his throne until he makes all of his enemies his footstool. All right. Jesus' hearers would have understood so much of this. Well, now, the main point is to be ready. Now, the call would come in the middle of the night, speaking figuratively, Jesus therefore implying that there would be an awakening when people least expect it. The church will be asleep. The church would be comprised of wise and foolish people. Well, he does not give us the details of what form the midnight cry will take. Uh, we only know that the cry would be effective. It woke up the church which had been asleep. And sadly, only those that had oil in their lamps went in to the wedding banquet, which is a way of saying that the Word and the Spirit are remarried. They come together. Now, I'm not sure what all wedding banquet means, but it was certainly a great celebration, and only the wise had the privilege of enjoying it and being right in the middle of it. Now, let me make some other observations about this parable. The entire church would be asleep in the very last days, wise and foolish. Things that are obvious about sleep, 
you don't know you were asleep until you wake up. And when you wake up, sometimes you're horrified. I can't believe I slept. And this is the way it will be. We're told wise and foolish. Not just the foolish, but the wise. Those who had followed the Spirit. Those who did have the fear of God in them. But even they were asleep. And uh, you see, the proof that you are asleep spiritually, you do things in your sleep. Here's the second thing about sleep. You do things in your dreams that you would not do if you were awake. Uh, for example, no conviction of sin, no sense of the fear of God, no sense of outrage over the godlessness of society or the church's lack of influence in the world, the things now that we're just taking for granted. Uh, do you realize that, that in most churches, and I'm talking about Bible churches, I'm talking about spirit churches, I'm talking about those who would really be Bible believers. Do you realize most college students in these churches sleep together? They're not married. Did you know most unmarried couples in their 20s? They are sleeping together. It's known, but we don't want to say anything against them because we don't want to lose them. But this is going on. Uh, Same-sex marriage. 15, 20 years ago, we would be horrified at that. Now, we just take it for granted. Uh, no outrage. Uh, there's an indifference, detachment regarding the cries of hurting people. Also the loss. No concern about people going to hell. Indifference to our own bitterness, our anger. Holding a grudge, unforgiveness. That doesn't seem to bother people anymore. They can just be angry. And there's another thing about sleep. We hate the sound of an alarm. And, you know, a wake-up call, which I'm trying to give now, maybe will do some good. I hope so. I hope that if you need this, that the Holy Spirit will apply what I'm saying. And you wake up and you say, I didn't realize I'd been asleep. And so I'd love to think that my preaching on the midnight cry would at least be a mini wake-up call. But what I'm talking about here from Matthew 25, it's the real thing. And it will be a horrifying event. Now here's a scary thing about it. No person's destiny was changed. The foolish did not become wise just because they were awakened. It was just revealed that that's what they were. And they're going to the wise and saying, give us of your oil. And the wise say, we just have enough for ourselves. Sorry, I can't help you. No destiny was changed. And when this comes, if you're among those who had not followed the fear of God, if you were among those, you've been foolish and you've rejected the things of the Spirit, and then you'll be awakened. I'm sorry, you will ask for people to pray for you and you'll beg, you'll be scared, you'll be nervous, you'll be awful. No change. Too late then. But not now. You see, as I speak to you, there is time to change. The real thing has not yet happened. You'll be thankful. It is coming. It will be too late then. 
and it will come when you least expect it. And so now is the time to make sure that you have oil in your lamp. It's a word and spirit person that you love the word. You're open to the Holy Spirit and you are what is called here a wise virgin. Well, the question is, who gives the midnight cry? There's a third party. You see, you've got the wise, the foolish, and those who do the crying in the middle of the night. They will be those who have the word and the spirit, and they are the ones that God will use. And I would love to think, I would love to think that God would use this word so to wake you up now, now, that you are ready, and you could be among those used. Because as I say, when the real awakening comes, it will be accompanied by a prophetic word. Perhaps not just one person, but many, many around everywhere, filled with the Spirit, but also who know their Bibles, they know the Gospel, unashamed of the Gospel. And so that third category, I'm hoping that this talk would help create a people like this, so that when the cry comes, actually you will be in on it because that would be those who give the cry in the middle of the night well i'll tell you what the effect of this cry will be the same as we saw on the day of pentecost you know when the holy spirit came down on the 120 people laughed at them they said these people have got a hold of some new wine and then peter had to stand up and say no we're not drunk. Uh, it's just the third hour of the day. It's a way of saying the pubs aren't even open. These people were sober. And by the time Peter finished, they weren't laughing. They were begging. They said, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter told them to repent and believe the gospel. Well, my point is, when this midnight cry comes, then I'm hoping that you, will be a part in giving it. They may laugh at you at first, but not for long, because God will give you power and authority, and all that with what else is happening, they'll know this is a no-joke thing, and they will have to get right with God. I'll tell you who has hope. Revival results in three things. First, nominal Christians being converted. Second, sleepy Christians being awakened. And third, those out of the world, those out of the world who are converted. And so it will be a great revival. We're talking about, in my opinion, the greatest awakening and revival since Pentecost. That is coming. This will be what will help prepare the bride for that moment, which will come very soon then, when Jesus leaves his throne, having made his enemies his footstool, because, in my opinion, millions of Muslims will be converted. Hundreds of thousands of Jews will be converted. The blindness on Israel will be lifted, and millions all over the world will be converted. That will be the good thing that takes place when the midnight cry comes. 
This is why I say this has not happened yet. So when people say, is this present coronavirus, the midnight cry? No, I don't think so. Far from it. But it's what I might call preparation for the real thing. And just maybe God will use my talk today to prepare a people because something is coming down the road and it will make the present coronavirus look like a drop in the bucket. This coronavirus has brought fear and it's awakened a few. But just as when the effect of 9-11 was over and people who had become so awakened now went back to sleep. This is what I think will happen. We're right in the middle of this coronavirus crisis as I speak, but when it subsides, people will go right back to where they were, generally. But the next one, it will be altogether different. And so the midnight cry will result in a restoration of the gospel with power rarely seen. Uh, and it will be paralleled by a catastrophic event that is equal or worse than the present crisis. It could be national crisis. It could be war. It could be nuclear war. Paralleled by a prophetic word that the people everywhere will take it seriously. Well, a number of years ago, I gave a talk. You could, you could call it a prophetic address. I, I didn't see it that way at the time. But I made this statement. This was done in 1992 at, uh, in London uh, when I gave a major address to what is probably the first Word and Spirit conference ever. I think it was. And uh, it was at Wembley Conference Center in London. Here's what I said. As Abraham sincerely thought that Ishmael was the promised child and prepared for it, and then at the, when Ishmael was 13 years old, God said to Abraham, uh, no, that's not the promised child. Sarah will conceive. Isaac is coming. And the promise to Isaac and concerning Isaac will be a hundred times greater than that to Ishmael. Well, you know, Abraham's first reaction was saying, oh no, please, I don't want this. Let, let Ishmael live before you. Let Ishmael be the promised child. And God said to Abraham, no, it's going to be your son Isaac born from Sarah. Well, Isaac came. And that was the promised child. And at this particular conference, I made the observation, it was my opinion then, it's my opinion now, that the charismatic movement, and you can include the Pentecostals that preceded them, all over the world, many thought this was the great revival. Many thought that. Sincerely believe it. This is the last day ministries. And I dared to say that night, that it's Ishmael. Do you know the charismatics that were there, many of them, not all, but just about all of them, were so angry with me. 
I mean livid. But some of the same ones now have made a 180 degree turn. You know what they're saying to me now? The RT, we hope you're right. Because if what we have now is all there is, we're in pretty bad shape. And now many are hoping that there will be a time when the word and the spirit come together. Well, a week after that address, someone came up to me and said, did you get that from Smith Wigglesworth? I said, no, why? He said, well, Smith Wigglesworth said the same thing. I said, really? Well, I knew little about Smith Wigglesworth. I, I knew that he healed people in a strange way and that he was a colorful figure. I didn't know anything more. It was said that three months before he died in 1948, he gave a prophecy that uh, there would be a coming move of the Spirit, that the emphasis would be the baptism of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. He said that would come. Well, if he got it right, and as many believe he did, that would have happened probably around 1960, where a charismatic movement was born in, in South Africa and Seattle, Washington, and spread everywhere else. And then he said uh, it would be followed by people leaving their churches and starting new churches. Well, that happened all over the world, especially in the Western world. But then he says, when that movement will be on the wane, there would be a new movement where the Word and the Spirit would come together. And the result would be the greatest awakening that we've seen, greater than the Wesleyan revival, greater than the Welsh revival, and it would go around the world. Well, I, I knew nothing about that. I was glad to hear it. I mean, I need all the help I can get. I want people to, to believe this. It wasn't fun to be alone and have these charismatic leaders against me. But you can go online and, and read about it. Doesn't mean everything you read online is true, but this is what he allegedly said. Well, I've got this to say, even if he didn't say it, this is what I believe. And I believe the time is coming. And what is going on now, at least so far as I speak, I don't think it is the midnight cry. But I believe that the midnight cry is coming, and it will be so horrifying to many. Let me give an example. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 says, that Jesus would come with the clouds, every eye would see him, they also which pierced him. And he said, all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Wail. Have you ever heard a wail? The sound of a, a well, you've heard crying, sniffling, people going boo-hoo, you've seen grief, and you've heard people cry. A whale? That's a sound you don't want to hear. I've only heard it once in my life. I won't try to mimic it. In one church I did, people laughed, so I, I'm not going to try, but it was a case of a, a mother whose son had just been killed in the Korean War in the 1950s. And the sound of that woman wailing, you could hear her a block away. You see, a wail is when there is no hope. That will be the effect. 
that the midnight cry will have on the foolish, and they will cry, they will wail. And for all I know, millions more, not all will be saved, I wish all would, but there'll be many converted. But God's sovereign power will be manifest, the gospel will be restored, and then there will be that moment, which the Apostle Paul calls that blessed hope, when Jesus will come again. And when he leaves his throne, we will be caught up together, and the glory of the Lord will be seen. And the good news is that all tears will be wiped away. There'll be no more crying. There will be no pain. And then will be the actual second coming. We will be changed. Our bodies glorified. We'll have bodies just like Jesus. And that will be the day when every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day will come when Jesus personally comes. The midnight cry will not be his personal coming except the person of the Holy Spirit orchestrated in heaven by Jesus at the right hand of God. That will be what will awaken the church. Well, that is pretty much what I teach about the midnight cry. I would say this to the degree that I've got it right. I ask the Holy Spirit to apply this to you. I'll tell you what would be the first fruits of my talk today. If it made you want to pray more, read your Bible more, increase in you a fear of God that you've not had, and that you would seek after wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. And if God were used this message, it would be an earnest that I've taught the truth today, that I didn't make this up, I didn't think it up. It's something that I saw many years ago, 60-some years ago, and I've been sitting on this all my life, and just in recent years, come out with this, and I pray that God will use it, and that you will never be the same again.